Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown, where the plum purple haze, the one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers, inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music. Tall tales. True stories. And current goings on. Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter. And swim buck naked in summer. Welcome to the Brown County Hour. This is Dave Seastrom along with the rest of the crew. This month we are pleased to offer a special retrospective show that includes some of our favorite pieces from the last 10 years. And each of the crew members will introduce the pieces they chose. There was too much good material to choose from and we will share some of the extra content in our podcast. My choices for the show start with a live recording from our studio with Dave Gore and Robbie Bowden playing the Slats Klug piece, A Good Way to Die. No retrospective show would be complete without a Chris Curtin poem, and I've selected one that he called The New Bridge. My final pick is also a live recording of Bob Lucas on his fretless gourd banjo playing a traditional song, John Hardy. We're going to do a song from the Liars Bench by Slats Klug and Steve Miller. It's off the first uh, Slats Klug and Friends CD that we did back in 1998. Yep, yep. the Liars was. Bench. It's called A Good Way to Die. Thank you. 
my stories are calling. I'm heading to town. Ready for winter. I'm hunkering down. Feeling so good. I don't want to know how. This living is easier now. Telling these lies that have to be told. Whistle my tune. Ain't gonna feel low. Plenty of wood and a stash of moonshine. I found me a good way to die. I found me a good way to die. I'm life of freedom like I never could. Just hunting the land and burning the wood and fishing for dinner or just fun. all that I'm gonna do now. This is Chris Curtin with a poem called The New Bridge. At last they have made the road safe for travel. There were a dozen or more on either side of the road, tall, stately, robust young sycamores crowded together in two straight lines hugging the road. In summer, it was like driving through a tunnel, the huge mottled bark trees with sun-drenched yellow-green leaves dappled and dancing in the breeze, glowing so they seemed to produce a sunlight of their own that they would release back into the atmosphere at dusk in a golden glow. Between the rows of trees was an old green iron bridge, partly rusted now. One was forced because of the narrow old bridge and the poor visibility caused by the trees to slow down, losing precious seconds in the race to be someplace else. The people in charge of such things came in with the chainsaws and bulldozers, and the offending trees were removed. Now the new wider bridge enables the driver to speed through that 100-yard straight stretch safely and securely, content with the knowledge that his field of vision will not be marred by those damned sycamore trees. <laughs> Yeah. 
Raider, one of the great pleasures of this project is the wonderful contributors that pass through our studio. We've tried to capture many of their voices in this episode. Early on, Kaylee Witt gave us perfectly edited nature pieces. In this interview with Jeff Keller, we have an example of the element of sound so important to radio while learning about frogs. Gunther Flum recorded many offbeat poems. This one celebrates Flag Day, June 14th. Urine is Healthy shows the freedom we enjoy on volunteer radio. This skit made fun of the 2012 proposed septic ordinance, something still not resolved eight years later. Humor goes a long way in confronting bad policy. Walking with Nature is in the studio to speak with Jeff Keller. He records bird calls for Cornell University. Now a resident of Brown County, he also records frog calls, and that's what we'll be talking about today. Hello, Jeff. Good morning. First off, let's clear up the confusion. What is the difference between a toad and a frog? Well, toads generally have a drier skin. It's also generally more warty and bumpy. They also hop rather than leap. They can stand drying out better than a frog can. Frog skins are usually moist and rather slippery, I would assume. I began hearing frogs at the end of February. What frogs were they? More than likely, it would have been one of three species. Wood frogs are perhaps one of the very first frogs to call at that time of year, right after the ice melts on the ponds, and you get that first 55-degree day in, the, in late February. Other frogs, out in the lowlands, in the agricultural lands, you would encounter chorus frogs. And in wooded ponds, along with the wood frogs, you'd also hear lots of little spring peepers. Then what frogs do we hear after that? Southern leopard frogs would be next in line. American toads also start up like in mid-April or early April when we get the 65-degree days. After that, it progresses on to other species, some of which are not present in Brown County but are in other areas of Indiana, like there's a crawfish frog that's threatened and endangered in Indiana. And those would start calling around the 15th of March. And they are the county west of Bloomington in Greene County. And there's also a population down in the Big Oaks National Wildlife Refuge. And what frogs would we hear in June? 
In June, expect to hear in Brown County, bullfrogs would probably be most conspicuous. And then there are green frogs, as well as Cope's gray tree frogs, cricket frogs. They sound like little castanets, little clicking noises, and fowler's toads. Why is Brown County a great place for frogs? Well, it does have habitat that's relatively undisturbed, plus people have a lot of ponds. And because there's a lot of habitat available, the frogs are there. It's been a really wet spring. Is that change conditions, and is there something special that happens? Yes, particularly for an extremely rare toad in southern Indiana called the eastern spadefoot toad. This is actually a toad species that is barely hanging on to existence in Indiana, but this was a great spring for them because of our torrential rains. In fact, that's what triggers their breeding is five inches or more of rain in any one session. And that happened around Easter weekend of this year, and the site was in Bartholomew County, about five miles southeast of Columbus, near Elizabethtown. And it was quite a spectacle to see thousands of these toads come out and breed in the flooded fields. The spadefoot toads have a requirement of sandy soil. They need the sandy soil because they burrow most of their lives. Outside of breeding season, you'll never see them because they, they burrow under the sand. But when the rains come in spring, the, the big rains, they come out in mass and breed. And hopefully their tadpoles will survive before their flooded fields are bone dry. By the way, the spadefoot toads have vertical pupils. That makes them stand apart from all other frogs and toads in North America. Their eyes are more like the eye of a cat with a, a vertical pupil rather than the horizontal pupil you will see on all the other frogs and toad species. Plus, they sound really strange. And finally, why do frogs sing? Basically, it'll be the males that'll be doing the singing. They do that to hopefully attract a potential mate. There are certain species where this is really conspicuous and the resulting mating, uh, from a human perspective, not a pretty picture, so to speak, because sometimes the males have the females outnumbered by a wide margin. It's like a well, like a drunken frat party supreme is what it is. And if you happen to take a hike around Straw Lake in Brown County State Park on some of those first warm days, and you will see what I am referring to. Thank you for talking with us today, Jeff. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Jeff has recorded a CD of frog calls called Frogs and Toads of Southern Indiana. It is available at T.C. Steele State Historic Site. For the Brown County Hour, this is Kaylee Witt, Walking with Nature. Happy Flag Day to us. Waving flags is so much fun, it's done by almost everyone. From very young to very old, from faint of heart to very bold, why anyone who likes to brag will do it proudly with a flag. Around the world you will find different flags of every kind, different colors, lines and bars, suns and planets, moons and stars, woven on a field of color, each one different than the other, and every one like all the rest, for every country is the best, as each one has a celebration 
waving flags across their nation, claiming in their mirth and fun their colored flag's the only one. And off to war men wave it proud, then wear it as a burial shroud, but in between on holidays they wave it with a fervent craze as they march and they parade with that colored flag they made, telling others to beware, that's our flag we planted there, and on this ground and sacred lands we believe for what it stands. Now in our flag there's 50 stars and 13 striped and colored bars, and in that pattern lies a tale of how our freedom did prevail, and liberty and justice too we hold dearly when we view a flag we fought for through the years that brought us joy and sometimes tears. Yell all of us with every wave, say, see this flag, we're not a slave. Those colors mean for you and me, whatever color, we're all free. Have a happy flag day. Hey, honey, it says here in the Scientific American Journal, July 23, 2010, that urine is good for garden plants. It also says it is totally possible to use human urine as a fertilizer because it contains nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus, which plants need to thrive, and it's practically sterile when it leaves the body. Well, I'm going to go out and water the vegetable patch right now. Hey, what are you doing there? Well, I'm recycling some wastewater. I don't want to overload my septic or run my pond dry just from flushing the toilet. And besides, Scientific America says urine is good for your garden. Yeah, well, this is Brown County, and you can't do that here anymore. According to Section 202 of Article 2, it shall be unlawful for any person to place, deposit, or permit to be deposited in an unsanitary manner upon the public or private property within Brown County, Indiana, or in any other area under the jurisdiction or said county, any human excrement or sewage. That includes peeing in the woods or on your bushes. You are guilty under this ordinance. The fine is $1,000. If I catch you doing this again, I'll fine you $2,500. $1,000 for peeing in your yard? What's this world coming to? Gee whiz. This is Chuck Wills, and the pieces I have chosen include our good friend Jim Eagleman's Nature News with a piece from 2017 on bumper stickers at the state park. From 2015, we have the old-time swingabilly group Slip Me Five playing Hit That Jive Jack. And from 2017, award-winning poet Nancy Chen Long reading her poem, How She Discovered Sex. As a naturalist at Indiana's largest state park, Brown County State Park, for over the past 40 years, my job was to teach, share, and educate people about nature. And because of the many people I came in contact with, it also gave me a chance to study human nature. These two subjects are, as you might imagine, mutually fascinating, often mysterious, and quite unpredictable. I gave talks and hikes and conducted programs of all kinds on nearly a daily basis. Returning to the Nature Center parking lot with hikers, I got in the habit of looking at license plates and the many cars, vans, and campers, and I also like to look at bumper stickers. Visitors to nature centers, I assumed, would be somewhat environmentally aware, but not all are, and bumper stickers often announced politics, music, and food preferences. And I was just interested in the environmental themes, and I have some of them here. I make no attempt at any disclaimer, as they are all authentic. I didn't make them up. I hope my reaction, like maybe yours, will elicit a chuckle, a nod, or maybe a frown. Here's my list. Environmental protection, a family value. Watch for frequent stops. Turtle lover on board. 
I break for roadkills. No, you take a hike. Hike a mountain, canoe a lake, now you're getting it. Bluegrass music, finger pickin' good. I'd rather be spelunking. I'm into plants, don't ask. Hang up and drive. My other car is a mountain bike. Don't spoil our soil, deposit motor oil properly. Thoreau is God. Save water, shower with a friend. I smile at sunsets. I heart smoky. Got beer? Global warming, it's not a lie. Once you've seen one redwood, you've seen them all. That's a quote by President Ronald Reagan. Buy local. Humankind be both. There are old mushroom hunters, and there are bold mushroom hunters, but there are no old, bold mushroom hunters. Wall drugs, it's a myth. Save the whales. Hell with the whales, save yourself. Soil, it's not a dirty word. Global warming. So who really likes Iceland anyway? You know how I get, pass the wine. Give a hoot, don't pollute. Give a damn, Uncle Sam. Honey, earthly sweetness. Love your mother earth. Nature's frisbee, a road-killed possum. Honey, them's not raisins in your granola, them's deer droppings. SOS, save our soil. I'd rather be hiking. Happy biker equals bugs in your teeth. My kid has a smaller carbon footprint than your kid. Native Americans, the original naturalists. Global warming, less land to pollute. The four R's, recycle, reduce, reuse, and refuse. Have you thanked a tree today? Hunting, sport of cowards. Hunting, an American tradition. Follow me to Nirvana, I hike. Marijuana, it's natural, why fight it? Thank God I'm a country boy. May the bluebird of paradise use your nose hairs for nesting material. My other car is a pair of hiking boots. And the bumper stickers go on and on and on. I had a wonderful time keeping these as a list, and they'll be in my soon-to-be-published memoirs. I've said that now for the past 10 years. This is Jim Eagleman reporting for Nature News, WFHB-FM Radio, the Brown County Hour. Thanks for listening. Till I get back Going downtown to see a man And I ain't got time to shake your hand Hit that jive jack Put it in your pocket till I get back Tide and tide waits for no man And I ain't got time to shake your hand Standing on the corner All full of jive But you know I'm poor But you hope to slip me five body out of Sleep that dive jack Going green and rabbit till I get back Going downtown to see your man And I ain't got time to shake your hand Standing on the corner All full of jive But you know Give you four You're supposed to slip me five body out Hit that dive jack Put it in your pocket till I get back Going downtown to see your man And I ain't got time to shake your hand Ah!
that jive jack padada, put it in your pocket. Hit that jive jack padada, put it in your pocket. Hit that jive jack padada, put it in your pocket. Mariapu pade, mariapu pade, mariapu pade. Nancy Chen Long, how she first discovered sex. Only grown-ups can do it. Kids aren't allowed. Even in second grade, she understood there were things her parents couldn't tell her until she was older. But it was Saturday night, and again there were giggles and rustling noises coming from her parents' bedroom. And there was that light streaming from under their door where she lay on the linoleum floor, peering through the crack. She couldn't see a thing. So she slid the door open just a sliver. And what did she see? Candy wrappers strewn all about the bed, her mom and dad propped up against pillows, chuckling and munching, reading the Sunday funny papers. It was quite a coup to get a hold of the Sunday funnies on a Saturday, thanks to the neighbor, a newspaper man, who came by every evening with the next day's copy. The same neighbor who got her dad a job at the local tire factory. Seeing her at the door, her mom patted the bed. Hop on up, sweetie. And she did, snuggled in between her parents as they read the funnies to her, shared almond joys, licorice twists, tootsie rolls. So this is sex, she thought, eating candy in bed, one of those fun things only grown-ups are allowed to do. It turned into a ritual every Saturday night until eating candy in bed became known as Saturday night, her favorite. Sky bars, four squares of chocolate, each with a different gooey center. She liked the busyness inside of the chocolate. And, of course, bit o' honey. Do you want some Saturday night, her mom would ask, as she broke open a bag of fine confections. Now we pause for station identification. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on volunteer-powered community radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at wfhb.org. Support for the Brown County Hour comes from listeners like you and the support of the Brown County Inn, a family-friendly getaway destination located in Nashville, Indiana, offering locally sourced food, drinks, and live entertainment with banquet space, indoor-outdoor pool, miniature golf, and more. Information and booking available at browncountyinn.com. Support for WFHB comes from Our Brown County, a magazine for locals and visitors featuring art, entertainment, and county characters since 1995. Printed six times a year and available online. More at OurBrownCounty.com. This is Rick Fettig, and a good time I had a few years ago was when I went to my cousin's wedding. So I did a piece about that, and it is truly how the natives in Brown County get married. John Prine has always been a favorite of mine, and Barry Elkins and Keenan Rainwater do a great song that he did a while back, Sam Stone. The bells are ringing for him and his gal. My dad's sister, Sally, the only one left in that generation of five kids, three girls and two boys, her youngest son got married last weekend at Straw Lake Shelter House in the Brown County State Park. 
It was a real hillbilly wedding, and I mean that with great respect. It was very casual. The groom had on what appeared to be a new pair of black Carhartt jeans and a pair of those blondish-colored work boots. His shirt was a purple that was real close to the color of purple that the bridesmaids wore. The bride had a lovely bell-shaped dress with hoops inlaid, giving the dress its shape. She looked very sweet with her bare shoulders as she looked up and held the arm of her tall young man whose hair was like Mel Gibson's in Braveheart. She was barefoot as soon as the reception started, chasing kids around, hugging friends, posing for pictures, and beginning the food line. There was a tray of baked beans, potato salad, barbecue, chips, Bud, and Bud Light, and a few bottles of wine. The groom spilled the champagne on his purple shirt when he opened it, and of course, they smashed wedding cake into each other's face, and you could tell that they were having fun with each other. Instead of a dance, they sang along with the John Prine song, In Spite of Ourselves, which Iris DeMent is part of. It was very quaint, and I wished them well. The location, Straw Lake, was a tremendous setting for such an event. A parking lot, of course, a grassy field for the kids to run and play in, and I was visiting with my aunt, so I didn't make the climb, but it looked like four stories of stairs up the hillside. At the top, there was a walkway that crossed over a beautiful waterfall that rushed down the four-story cliff, if I can call it that. Across the walkway was the lake with a man-made earth dam that retained the water. Very picturesque, especially with the bridesmaids and flower girls trolloping in their long purple dresses. There are spectacular and beautiful places all around the world, but the unique character and beauty of the terrain here in southern Indiana can hold its own in any comparison. For most of us, we're on the road daily and perhaps in our yards. Many dog walkers and hikers are often seen along the side of the road. I'd like to remind everyone and encourage you to get off the beaten path and walk a deer trail or a ridgetop or valley. Appreciate our trees while we still have them. Walk barefoot in the creek. Inhale the freshness of the forest. But be thankful we can see the sun and that we're not surrounded by 10-story concrete buildings. We don't have 20-minute traffic jams. This is a very special place on the face of the earth. I trust you are thankful and enjoy a gathering at the park. Sam Stone came home to his wife and family After serving in the conflict overseas But the time that he'd served Had shattered all his nerves And left a bit of strap in his knee But the morphine eased the pain And the grass grew around his brain that gave him all the confidence he lacked With a purple heart and a mark on his back There's a hole in daddy's arm Where all the money go Jesus Christ died for nothing I suppose Little pictures have big ears 
don't stop to count the years Sweet songs never last too long on broken radio Sam Stone's a welcome home It didn't last too long Went to work after he did spend his last dime Now Sammy took the stealing When he got that empty feeling With a hundred dollar habit But no overtime But the gold rolled through his veins like a thousand railroad trains And it eased his mind in the hours that he chose While the kids ran around wearing other people's clothes Grubbs. I chose this poem by Keith Kelly because it reflects so strongly how I feel about Brown County. Plus, I adore his voice. The poem is called What Shall I Do This Summer? Dave Seastrom's essay, We Love Our Forest, tells us the importance of trees and nature in our lives, and his delivery is classy and succinct. Local Music, an essay by Jeff Tryon, is next, and Jeff can be my advocate anytime. His boomer of a voice grabs your attention immediately. You know what's like poetry? Poetry. Here's a bard of Brown County, Keith Kelly. I've been in the habit of traveling in the summer times, and people have gotten in the habit of asking me this year, what are you going to do this summer? Well... I got tired of the question, so I wrote it out. What I will do this summer. I shall hunt fossil remains under tulip trees. I shall swim in the humidity of evening rains. I shall travel by jet contrail thundering from horizon to horizon. I shall bask on my back in tall grass as sunlight shreds the woods. I shall escape to a flat overlooking a turtle pond. I shall dine from an ethnic menu of meatloaf and gravy. I shall visit exotic lands and see strange people and places. Nashville, Bean Blossom, the IGA. I shall hear strange and terrible stories from the lips of natives. I shall take long naps and dream deep dreams. I shall end the quiet days with starry nights. I shall stay home. You may have noticed that guests and staff writers alike on the Brown County Hour often write about the forest that surrounds us. There are good reasons for this. We love our forests. Those who are native and those who choose to move here all share the love of the land. No one lives in Brown County because of the great employment opportunities. We live here because nature has made a tremendous comeback from the dark days following the clear cut a century ago. Unless you're familiar with the story, it would be easy to believe that the Brown County everyone sees when they drive through has always been like this. 
even the casual observer can enjoy the view of hillsides covered in deep forests for as far as the eye can see, and vistas that have become famous from photographs by National Geographic magazine and others. Over one million visitors come to our state park every year, and countless others crowd our roads in the fall to enjoy the kind of scenery that can be found nowhere else in Indiana. Our state forests are a gem to behold. Large, unbroken areas of wilderness covered with trees, many of which are more than 100 years old. The diversity of plant and tree species are a delight to those who find themselves off the beaten track for a hike in pristine forest land. The great woods that surround us provides homes for many of the endangered and protected plants and animals who can only survive in dense forests. Our recovered environment is teeming with wildlife. The nights are filled with the sounds of owls in winter and peepers in early spring. White-tailed deer make their homes alongside of the wild turkeys, groundhogs, and rattlesnakes. American bald eagles share the sky with red-tailed hawks and the migrating sandhill cranes. The backcountry area off of Low Gap Road contains thousands of acres of continuous forest with some of the oldest trees in Indiana. People travel from all over the Midwest to hike and camp in this beautiful wilderness. Southern Indiana contains the last remnant of the once great forest that covered almost the entire state. The forest we now enjoy has survived two centuries of exploitation that turned the rest of the state into a plant desert we know as farmland. It's remarkable that these areas were spared. Progress is a hungry beast with an insatiable appetite. But thanks to rough terrain and a century of benign neglect, we have inherited this magnificent gift, if we can hang on to it. A visitor to Brown County a hundred years ago would have encountered a view that's quite different from today. Instead of vibrant forests teeming with life, the traveler would have seen vast areas of clear-cut, completely void of most animal and bird life. The hills were bleeding topsoil all the way to the Gulf of Mexico, and the county was covered in huge tree stumps that marked the passage of our virgin forest. The jobs went away with the trees, and the population left in a mass exodus in search of employment in the big cities. By all accounts, this was a tragedy, something unthinkable by today's standards. Having once come so close to oblivion, it's fair to assume that no right-thinking person would want to see this happen ever again. I think all of us want to believe that our beloved forest is being protected and well served by those charged with this obligation. I believe that even if you never set foot in one of our magnificent forests, in your heart you love knowing that somewhere out there nature is intact and protected from exploitation. I wish I could tell you this was true. In the late 70s and early 80s, two Indiana governors saw the wisdom of preserving large areas of state forests that were protected from logging. It was felt at the time that Hoosiers needed unspoiled nature to refresh their souls and find peace and beauty in the wilderness. I believe this is also true today. Unfortunately, management at the state level has reversed this status, and in less than 10 years, the entire state forest system will be logged over. This past fall, the big topic amongst the tourists was, why are there so many logging trucks on the roads? Many concerned people rightly ask, what's going on? Believe me, we're all asking this question. As we Hoosiers celebrate our bicentennial year, our state forests are facing the same destruction that devastated them a century ago. 
During our centennial, we celebrated 100 years of statehood by creating the state park system. This remarkable achievement paved the way for all of the state parks so many of us enjoy, including Brown County State Park. But they left their work half finished, and now our state forests need our help if they are to survive. You can read more about this topic by going to our webpage at browncountyhour.com woodwatch. This is Dave Seastrom. See you next time. Let's hear it for live, original music. Why can't Brown County be the same kind of music destination as Austin or Memphis or Athens? How can we make Brown County into a new music destination where people come to hear original music and where new acts and players get the chance to grow and rise? When we think about what our local culture has to offer visitors to this place, surely our music is as important as the scenery, the paintings, the history, or the making and drinking of alcoholic beverages. Brown County has a rich musical history that goes all the way back to the earliest pioneers entertaining themselves with bluegrass and Americana tunes around the old log cabin. My grandfather played at barn dances in Helmsburg in the 30s and 40s. They were a big social event of the day. Long before Bill Monroe discovered Bean Blossom, there was a regular jamboree of live entertainers in the fall of each year. Hohenberger has left us a photo of a big circus tin and the sign outside announcing Bean Blossom Jamboree. When Bill Monroe came to Bean Blossom, there was already a local music scene. Acts like Doc Bicell's Bluegrass Band had ventured out as far as Indianapolis and were heard over the radio. We've got the music history, and we've got a lot of local musicians, not only players, but folks who are accomplished on the technical side of recording and reproducing music. We have a rich resource of musical talent in and around our county, not just hungry young up-and-comers, but also seasoned veterans who know their way around a song, a stage, and an audience. When the now-defunct Pine Room decided to focus on providing a space for live music, it proved to be a popular and successful arrangement. They didn't do too well as a bar or a restaurant, but they fostered a thriving music scene that's the kind of thing that makes a place a musical destination. Maybe that's telling us something about how we attend to music in public places, how we listen to music together publicly. Because of modern-day electronics, music has become such an intensely personal experience. In our most solitary and introspective moments, when our hearts and minds are open, we are listening to music. Most of the time, we are listening to music we are alone or, or with one or two other people. When we go out to hear music, we typically go to a bar where the band is just kind of an added attraction. The main event is socializing, getting lubricated, and oh yeah, there's a band over there in the corner. Musicians call this a wallpaper gig. They're expected to just kind of blend in with the scene, not make too much of a fuss. Play well-worn cover tunes, the golden hits of yesterday and today. This is not the way to encourage and nurture singer-songwriters who are giving us poetry and music from their soul, putting their whole hearts out there on the high wire. We as a community need to create spaces and offer the resources to see and hear what the musicians among us are doing. And we need to actually get out and see them, patronize them, throw them a couple of bucks here and there. You will be amazed. I mean, sure, it takes all kinds to make a circus, and everybody isn't going to love everything that comes down the pike, but I am always surprised and uplifted when I go out and actually get to hear local singer-songwriters doing their own thing from their heart. They're right here, living and working amongst us, struggling to survive and still make time for their art and their craft. We as a community need to recognize that and value that. 
When I was a teenager, the cops in Nashville would run you off the corner if you tried to stand on the street playing your guitar, singing a plaintive tune of love and humanity. Now, buskers are welcomed around town, and there's even a live music series down at the Village Green. Times do change, and we can change the way that Brown County relates to music and musicians and the picture we paint for the visitors who are our primary industry. We need to get it in our own minds and project to others from elsewhere that Brown County is a hotbed of original live music. That one of the things you need to check off your list when you come to Brown County is to dip into our rich reservoir of music and performance. And we may have to change some people's minds about the difference between wallpaper music, some bar band doing covers of top hits, and the real honest grit of a real person singing you their song, inviting you along on their journey, their vision. What Brown County needs is a reputation for getting new artists noticed, so it will be the kind of place where talented young people come to get started in the music business. We need some kind of event, a musical festival that celebrates local players and singers and songwriters of every stripe, showcases what they do, possibly even give them some kind of, oh, I don't know, monetary incentive. How can we make Brown County into a new music destination where people come to hear the music and where new acts and players get the chance to grow and rise? It starts by thinking of it that way and telling everyone that's what it is. Brown County is a place for singer-songwriters singing original music. Brown County has long been recognized as an artist colony, and our local tunesmiths, troubadours, and musical ensembles are artists just as surely as any paint-stained wretch who ever labored over a canvas on plain air out in the open splendor of a Brown County day. Let's start thinking of Brown County as a place for live original music and communicating that idea to others. Hi, this is Jim Lemon, the new guy, and I've got a couple of picks here. The first one being Chuck's Pond Pump, which tells the story of Chuck Wills, our producer, and the challenge of maintaining your own fresh water. And next up, we have Hank Swain, was an early participant on the radio program, an older man who's now passed on, but his voice, his drawl, his cadence, it's a lovely presentation of a story called The Death of Sliver Milo. It all started with a cup of coffee. Here in the wilds of Brown County, it's midwinter and the weather has been on the colder side of miserable. When it's below zero with ice and snow shin deep, it's that cup of coffee that keeps my wife fueled, thawed, and happy. And on this particular day, I turned on the kitchen faucet to make a pot, and it said, nothing doing, no water. Now, for city dwellers, no water often means a call to the water company. No such luck for me. No water in winter means only one thing. The well pump is frozen. And that leads to no coffee, which leads to frosty looks for my beloved. It's a real backwoods emergency. Now, I know from experience I need to get some heat down to the pump, which is about 500 feet from the house, down the hill by the pond. Our pump is down there in a big pipe jutting up from the ground with a concrete cap right next to our neighbor's pump. So after bundling up in enough winter gear to explore the polar ice cap, I waddled down to see how bad it was. Upon peeling back the lid, sure enough, icebergs. Now you can understand, this pump is submerged under about five feet of water and a pipe three feet across, and there's no way you can just point a torch at it and melt anything. You need big heat. The tool for the job is the Heatzilla 2000, a 30,000 BTU propane blast furnace, a proper piece of heavy equipment. 
and there's no way I'm carrying that down the hill to the pond through the snow. No, sir. I need a tractor and other implements of destruction. And that's where this gets interesting. You see, I pulled the heater out of the shed and found the cold had cracked the propane O-rings, so I had to get over to Bear Hardware before they closed and grab a couple of new ones. But before I did that, I had to plow the driveway so I didn't skid down the icy hill and end up in the pond, so that means starting up the John Deere. Except the John Deere had a flat tire and a dead battery. So I went to start the generator in order to fire up the air compressor on the jump box, and it wouldn't start. That means rummaging for the can of starting fluid, which ended up being exactly where I left it last time. And in short order, the generator was generating, air compressor compressing, tires filling, battery box jumping, and tractor tractoring. Whew, success. Now to plow off that driveway and head to Bears for the O-ring. Of course, this trip includes standing around the cash register for a bit, eating free popcorn, and talking with the fellas about how blasted cold it is. Yes, cold enough to freeze up my well pump again. After a successful hardware trip, I was back with an O-ring and tractored the heater, generator, and propane tank down to the pump. And I set the heater up with some homemade ductwork fashioned from an old barbecue grill I scavenged from the junk pile beside the barn. Now I'm guessing that city folks may not have a junk pile or a barn, which may give further evidence to either how ill-prepared they are for country living or how smart they are to have a place in town where they can probably get coffee at the touch of a button. Do not even say the word Starbucks to me right now. At any rate, I focused the fury of the blast furnace down into the pipe for a good hour. Things were looking very melty, but a call up to dear wife confirmed no water, no coffee, nothing. Fortunately for me, I have a secret weapon on speed dial. My neighbor who is not only an expert plumber, but he's the guy that installed the pump to begin with. I hesitantly called him and said, uh, Billy, my pump's froze again. I may need you. Being the good guy that he is, he dropped everything to come and help me puzzle it out. And Billy confirmed, in fact, I had all of the equipment a country guy could hope for in this situation. The John Deere, the generator, the propane tank, Heatzilla 2000, custom barbecue ductwork, and it was all pointed at my neighbor's pump. Yes, sir, I'd been thawing the wrong one for nearly two hours. It was so hot, in fact, that I'm sure my neighbor could have brewed coffee right from the tap had he wanted to. So after redirecting my efforts on the proper target for a time, water was restored, though my pride was still a little frozen. My beloved finally got her cup of hot coffee, and life in the woods was tranquil once again. Lesson learned, but to tell you the truth, Next time, I may have to leave the heavy equipment in the barn and just take her to town and get a coffee from the chocolate mousse. Maybe even check into the inn for a few days of cable TV and hot running water. I'm still country if I stay in Brown County, right? The Death of Sliver Milo from the Brown County Democrat, July 3, 1939. The deaths of Sliver Sam Milo, as reported in the July 1939 issue of the Brown County Democrat, was the result of a most unusual accident. Sliver got his name because of his prowess in whittling and carving wood. He was also known for rope twirling. It was his dedicated hobby, and he could outrope any man in the county. 
His nickname Sliver came from the unique way he peeled the bark off saplings and little slivers when he fashioned a new cane. His reputation for cane making was legend in the community. The intricate carvings on the canes were so unusual, he was able to market them in the local shop to be sold to the tourists. It was the combination of his deafness with the knife combined with his rope twirling that did him in. His creative mind seemed to be at work at best when he was resting. On this fateful hot summer day, Sliver was sitting on his porch with a homemade beer in one hand, rocking a slow rhythm in his own handmade rocking chair. He observed that he should cut the weeds along the lane to his cabin. The slow rocking had put him in a trance-like creative state. He didn't like the hard work of using a scythe. In a aha moment, it came to him that he should combine his rope twirling skills with his whittling prowess. The result was a prototype of what a later invention we have known as the weed eater. Sliver fastened his carving knife near the end of his twirling rope. He was a cautious man and realized there might be a slight danger from being cut in the shins by the twirling knife as he envisioned how his new invention would work in practice. So he went to his workshop and uh, cut a half lengthwise two empty gallon tin cans after removing the top and bottom lids. Now, by strapping them to his shins, he had two layers of metal to guard against an accidental cut. His invention worked just about the way he had envisioned it. The knife, spinning in a twirling loop, whacked the weeds much cleaner and easier than the scythe. He was having fun with his new invention and began to fancy he should patent the idea. But the more he thought about it, he realized that the only markup by uh, might be other rope twirlers, of which in the general population there really weren't that many. Well, he was making good progress down the side of his driveway until he came to an iron gate. He tried twirling to the lowest level to cut the grass under the gate. He became overconfident in his skill with his new machine. He misjudged the blade's clearance to the iron post that supported the gate. The blade ricocheted off the post, cutting the rope in the process. It bounced off the post directly into Sliver's chest. He slumped to the ground, stunned at what had happened. His last thought before losing consciousness was, I should have stayed in the rocker and gone to sleep. Now, Sheriff Brannon was puzzled by what he observed upon arriving at the scene. There was Sliver lying on the ground with a knife in his chest, tin cans wrapped around his shins, three sections of twirling ropes scattered about and no signs of a scuffle. What to make of it? Was it suicide? An accident? Or murder? Well, Sliver didn't have any serious enemies that the sheriff knew about. It wasn't like Sliver to commit suicide, but that some of those cane carvings were pretty weird. 
There was a question about the freshly cut weeds on just one side of the lane with no scythe about. An autopsy showed he died of a heart attack that caused knife penetration. Going through Sliver's cabin after the funeral, they discovered what might have been the last cane he carved. Just over the curb of the cane handle was a carved figure of a man with a knife in his chest. To this day, Sliver's death remained an unanswered question to many in the community who knew him. In 1989, Sliver's case was featured on Unsolved Mysteries program on TV. Could any modern detective do any better than uh, Sheriff Brannon? If we could recreate the scene as he found, would today's advanced forensics be of any help? I doubt it. But a good detective with a vivid imagination could probably solve the mystery by wondering why the knife in Sliver's chest had a knot attached to the end of it and a short piece of rope with a clean cut on its end. Any good tall tale detective should be able to figure that out. Thanks for tuning in to the Brown County Hour, recorded in our studio at the History Center here in downtown Nashville, and brought to you the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. and the following Wednesday at 6 p.m. and anytime online. Be sure to look for us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. The Brown County Hour is brought to you by a diverse group of folks who believe now more than ever, the world is for everyone. This show was produced by Chuck Wills, Pam Rader, Rick Fettig, Vera Grubbs, Jim Lemon, Sarah Lytle, and Dave Seastrom. We would also like to thank Slats Klug for our theme music. You have been listening to the Brown County Hour, coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home, Brown County home.